Ciao amici, welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today, we'll be talking about Nani Moretti's 1993 film Caro Diario, or Dear Diary. First, as a couple of news items, want to provide an update on what's going on with film festivals. At the Venice Film Festival earlier this month, in September 2020, Two Italian films received awards. The Volpi Cup for Best Actor went to Pier Francesco Favino for Padre Nosto, a film directed by Claudio Noce. You might recognize Pier Francesco Favino for many contemporary Italian films, most recently um, in Marco Bellocchio's Il Traditore, or The Traitor, um, where he also won the Best Actor Award at the David D. Donatello Awards. The other award going to an Italian film at the festival was the Horizons Award for Best Screenplay, going to I Predatori, The Predators, by director Pietro Castellito. Similar to Il Cinema Ritrovato, something exciting in the midst of COVID-19 and the pandemic is many film festivals around the world are offering virtual screenings where you can watch the film digitally without needing to travel or take the risk to go attend these film screenings in person. Um, A few that I wanted to call out um, that are making the festival circuits right now, and I'll also provide links on where you can watch them in the coming weeks. First, at the New York Film Festival, there will be virtual screenings of two Italian documentaries. First is Gianfranco Rossi's Noturno, which I believe was also at Venice, and then will also be at the upcoming Chicago Film Festival. As well as Michael Dweck and Gregory Kershaw's documentary, The Truffle Hunters, which is produced by Luca Guadagnino, director of um, Call Me By Your Name. Also coming to the Chicago Film Festival are Daniele Lucchetti's Lachi, The Ties, um, which this was the film that opened the Venice Film Festival earlier this month, and as well as Claudio Noce's Padre Nostro, which, as I mentioned, just won Best Actor at Venice. It does feel very fortunate to be able to see these brand new movies premiering halfway around the world and being able to watch them and access them from the comfort of home. Um, Even after COVID-19 and the pandemic is over, I do hope this trend continues of being able to screen films virtually that are available in festivals so that way we have access to them. What's also coming soon in October um, to regular U.S. theaters um, and as well as virtual cinemas available for rent are Pietro Marcello's Martin Eden, which I know I've talked a lot about. I'm nuts about it. It was my favorite Italian movie from 2019, and I'm so excited to be able to see it again. I'm hoping that now that it's being rolled out theatrically, a home video release hopefully isn't too far behind, um, but I can't wait to see this one again. What's also coming up is Ferzan Otsepek's, um, apologies if I pronounced that wrong, his film La Dea Fortuna, Goddess of Fortune, which earlier this spring won the Best Actress Award at the David E. Donatello Awards um, for its lead actress, Jasmine Trinka. Uh, La Dea Fortuna, I've been waiting to see for a long time as well, so super excited to check this one out. Um, And I'll include links to all of these where you can rent them in the show notes. Um, And just to call out, several film festivals and several of your local art house or independent theaters are very likely hosting screenings of these. I'll post links to where I've found it online, 
But if, if your local theater is hosting screenings of these, by all means, rent it through them, help support them during these times. Um, and it's a great way to help keep these art house cinemas we know and love alive in the midst of the pandemic. And next, moving to Caro Diario, um, just to provide a little bit of context, this was Nani Moretti's eighth feature film, and when it was released at Cannes, it won the Best Director Prize at the 1994 Awards, as well as winning Best Film at the 1994 David Donatello Awards. To contextualize it in broader film history, um, the 1994 Cannes Film Festival was also where Pulp Fiction won the Palme d'Or. So it's interesting to think of the same audiences that saw Pulp Fiction, Saccaro Diario, within the same time span. Um, it's kind of an interesting trivia tidbit to think of these two movies in the same place and same time. Caro Diario doesn't follow a clear plot as much as it provides vignettes that are kind of captured into three distinct segments. First comes In Vespa, On My Vespa, Isole, or Islands, and then Medici, or doctors. And the film is dis- is divided very cleanly between these three segments with different moments, anecdotes, and thoughts kind of peppered throughout that are distinct and specific to each of these specific segments. To start first with In Vespa, or On My Vespa, we follow director and star of the film, Nani Moretti, alone riding his best Vespa through Rome. It begins with him commenting that in August, during the Ferragosto holiday, most Romans leave town, making the city largely empty. We follow him around on his Vespa, and in narration, as well as speaking directly to the camera, he'll remark on his favorite neighborhoods, buildings, bridges, and among the different activities he takes on, he goes to the, he goes to the cinema, as well as stopping at a street fair. Throughout our interaction with him, he comes across as a bit quirky or offbeat. He has no hesitation chatting with strangers and stopping people in the street. He tells us that after seeing Flash, the film Flashdance, his secret dream is to be able to dance well. And immediately after this, he stumbles onto a street fair where a Latin band is playing, where Moretti just gets on stage and starts singing with them. He comes across as very good-hearted, just a little out of touch, seems to march to the beat of his own drum. As the segment concludes... He remarks that he's never been to Ostia, the place where director Pier Paolo Pasolini was killed. While most of the chapter of this film is playful, joyful, and a little goofy, here it starts to feel a little more melancholic. There's hardly any narration, and we see Moretti riding his Vespa down the road along a beach, and just from the music, we get a more introspective moment compared to what we experienced earlier. The music is slow and is a single piano, gradually growing more driving with rhythmic chord tones pushing the pace forward. And the camera still stays a distance behind him. All of these are foils to what we experienced before, where the music was lively, much more fun, Full, with full band arrangements and orchestrations compared to a single piano. The next chapter is called Isole, or Islands. 
The way this is set up, Moretti goes to the Aeolian Islands to spend time with his friend Gerardo, who moved to the island Lipari 11 years prior to study Ulysses. Together, they take a journey staying with different friends of Gerardo's as they go island to island. And although they're always set up, they're comfortable with a roof over their heads, they're always on the go. They're always slightly displaced, moving house to house, island to island. It all feels very temporary. There's not a sense of staying put when they're constantly in movement. Among the different destinations they go to, they go to the islands of Salina, Stromboli, Panarea, and Alicuri. What's also interesting about this segment, in foil to the previous one of Moretti alone, is here we get much more time not only of Moretti with Gerardo, arguably two peers experiencing this together, but we also get a stronger glimpse into domestic and family life from the different people and places that the two visit. There's a memorable sequence when they're on Selena, which they describe as a quieter island, where all the couples there only have one child. There's an amusing montage of adults calling their friends only for their friends' children, mostly toddlers, answering the phone. And adults on one end of the line trying to make chit-chat with toddlers at the other end of the line, just trying to move things along to speak to their parents. This micro anecdote and scenario is turned into this macro montage where we see multiple adults all in phone booths desperately trying to talk these kids into being able to talk to their parents. And it's a striking scene. We don't know if Moretti himself is a father. He barely mentions his girlfriend slash partner slash wife. Even that's not made clear. So it's unknown if he's observing observing on family life with a mocking eye, a loving eye, or merely observing and is stagnant and separated from it. While the two are traveling together, they also try their best to keep each other in check, where Moretti asks Gerardo to help him keep keep tabs on his to-do list, to not lose track of his work of preparing a film. And Gerardo asks Moretti to help keep him on track with his research on Ulysses and the Odyssey. As their journey comes to a conclusion, they get into a brief argument that they did not hold each other accountable to carry out their professional ambitions. They got lost in the travels, swept up in where they were going, distracted, lost sight of their true destination. And finally comes the third chapter, Medici, or Doctors. Like the very first segment, this features Moretti alone going place to place, but here it's going to doctor's offices, in interior spaces, with considerably less agency and freedom compared to him riding his Vespa through the streets of Rome. One day he suddenly develops a irritating itch and keeps scratching, so he goes from doctor to doctor to try to identify the issue and receive medication to solve it. Every doctor he sees has a different answer for what's causing it, has a different prescription, and over time, Moretti builds up a collection of different medications, different treatments, none of which are doing the trick. As he goes from doctor to doctor, there's a growing, numbing monotony and a tension going unresolved, where his prescriptions and treatments are piling up without reprieve or release. What's also striking is, in this segment, from Moretti, we get a real vulnerability and almost body horror, 
with just the rough sound of his scratching against his skin, showing his personal struggle and not being afraid to show that on camera. To many people, this would be an embarrassing problem or something not to highlight, but he lays it all out on camera and he really opens himself up to us and to see and experience the shame, the frustration, the repetition, the routine, and the lack of resolution of it all. Eventually, there is a reprieve when he visits a pair of Chinese doctors. One of them notices that he has a cough, so they do a chest x-ray, identify that there's a mass around the lung, then they do a CAT scan, which could be lung cancer. They operate right away and find that he has Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a treatable cancer. Some of the symptoms of this include weight loss, sweating, and itching. Fortunately, there's a quote-unquote happy ending. He seems to be cured. It's all resolved. But he admits that from his experience, he learned that doctors know how to talk but not to listen. And now he's surrounded by all these medications that weren't fixing the problem. He now starts every morning with a glass of water and toasts to his health. When the sequence starts, Moretti also narrates to us in voiceover that this all happened to him some years prior. So in a way, by framing this as the final of three segments, it really complicates the character that we had seen in the previous two chapters. Perhaps this brings to light the outgoing, curious persona that we see earlier in the film as someone with a new outlook on life, renewed energy, and agency to Rome compared to, compared to the debilitated patient in need trapped in doctor's offices who we realize chronologically fell before the fun-loving, goofy Moretti that we see riding around on his Vespa. Looking at the three segments together, one of the recurring themes I observed was this narrative journey from independence to interdependence to codependence. In the first chapter, in Vespa, we see Moretti who's, who seems limited and bound by no one. He's alone, he's free to go wherever he wants, do exactly what he wants. There's a limitless energy and ability to take time for oneself. Thinking of his description to Ostia, where Pasolini was killed, as a film director identifying with an earlier film director, perhaps this isn't, isn't an experience he could share with many of his friends, family, with many of his friends or family, but he, it's a sort of pilgrimage that he could feel an obligation to or some spiritual connection with. And then from the first to the second chapter, we move from independence to interdependence, where Moretti shares his experiences with his friend Gerardo, as well as with those families and couples that they stay with as they travel through the Aeolian Islands. The two make a sort of odd couple as they work through island to island, picking up on the cultural nuances and the unique norms and societies that, that occupy each space. It's almost like their own mini odyssey as they go through this together, but they have it together. They can depend on one another. And then from with the third chapter, we move from interdependence to codependence, where Moretti is all but fully reliant on doctors. He's helpless. 
scratching in his sleep, restless, and is compelled to see doctor after doctor until it's resolved. He seems to have virtually no freedom, certainly not compared to the previous two chapters, as this is a matter he's unable to take care of himself, he's fully reliant on others. Looking at the three together, they're like three different shades of human connection and experience. Being holy with oneself, to being interdependent with another, to being fully reliant on others. And they're all encapsulated by, by one man in a relatively short period of time in his life. Another theme I picked up on was, in particular, in the second chapter, Isole Islands, was its, tie, its narrative ties to the Odyssey. There's an explicit link to this when Moretti introduces Gerardo as a scholar of Ulysses, um, and it ends up manifesting in the journey that the two men themselves take, traveling island to island throughout the Aeolian Peninsula. The thematic tie to the Odyssey itself as a text also comes through the idea of being tested, facing temptation, and losing sight of their journey. On this trip, Moretti's intent is to focus on his work and get through his to-do list. At the same time, Gerardo, an academic, a scholar, loses track of his scholarly pursuits and becomes fixated with television. Almost like Odysseus and his men being tempted by the sirens or by Circe or by Calypso on their journey, Moretti and Gerardo are being tempted in their own ways. There's also a tie between the formal element of narration itself. Kind of midway through the Odyssey, Odysseus recounts most of his journeys himself when speaking to the Phaeacians. This is unique within the Odyssey because most of the narrative is from a third-person perspective. And then it shifts midway through where Odyssey is claiming his story himself. He's narrating to the Phaeacians, and that is the text that we ourselves are reading. So we're almost getting a first-person recounting of what Odysseus experienced. And just looking at Moretti as actor, as writer and director of this film, if this film is his diario, his diary, written and directed by himself, it's almost taking on the same form as Odysseus with the Phaeacians. Moretti is wholly owning his narrative and is the one communicating it to us. No one else is claiming that story, and it's only him. We are experiencing Moretti's Odyssey. I admit it took me a little bit to get into the groove of this movie. I wasn't sure where it was going, and I think I was expecting it to be more of a traditional narrative. But once it sunk in that we were going to get more anecdotes and thematic ties across different landscapes and life experiences, it was able to click together for me much better. Um, And in particular, with a rewatch, then I liked the beginning of the movie even better with a clearer understanding of what kind of film this was and what sort of story Moretti was telling. Caro Diario is now available on Blu-ray, available from Film Movement Classics. Thank you for listening, and if you haven't yet, please be sure to 
subscribe, rate, and review through iTunes, Spotify, or however you're listening to this podcast. It helps people discover the show more organically. Um, so if you like what you're hearing or want to provide feedback, any and all reviews are welcome. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Cinema Italiano Podcast. Thank you again for listening, and until next time, ciao amici.